0: Hey everybody, we want to thank you all who have supported the show, and anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over a hundred episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to hundred plus episodes.
1: Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau, the podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your hosts,
0: Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, our guest is Anna Britton, Executive Director of Napa Green and co founder of the Napa Thrive Symposium. And today we're going to be talking about the economics of sustainability in the Napa Valley. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I was hoping you could give Peter and I a brief overview of your background and how you got into running Napa Green.
1: Yeah, well, so I'm from the Napa Valley originally and I have to say I did not intend to come back and work in the wine industry. I intended to get out of the bubble. I went out to the East Coast for a while. I went and worked internationally for a while. I worked in D.C. and I really came to the conclusion that working locally, to me at least, feels like it can have the greatest impact And back in 2006, I had a transition summer where I ended up doing an internship with John Garn, who had been doing specifically consulting, niche consulting on sustainable wine growing for many years. And so I got into this very specific and targeted field over 15 years ago. And then I actually helped design the Napa Green Winery program, which I'm sure we'll talk more about with John in 2008. And then when I came back to California in 2014, Napa Green was then a program of the Napa Valley Vintners. And so I was brought on board to help grow the program in 2015. And then in 2019, we became an independent nonprofit. What a time to become an independent nonprofit at the start of COVID. So it's been about three years now and I've been the executive director and a lot has been changing over the last three years. So happy to talk more about that as well.
2: So as Napa Green, sustainability is... Sort of the core of what you're going after. A lot of people have different definitions of what sustainability is. How do you define it?
1: Yes, this is one of the most common questions we get. And so a couple of years ago, you know, I was at one too many conferences where people were saying sustainability is confusing, it doesn't have a clear definition, it's not really meaningful, it's greenwashing. And I kind of stamped my foot and smacked my head on the table. I was like, dang it, there are six core pillars of sustainable wine growing leadership that any program has to be working on to really call themselves leaders, really anyone in the agricultural space. And I've actually recently added a seven. So I'll walk you through those seven pillars, but this is my attempt at sort of the elevator pitch of the real depth and rigor of what we're doing. So it's water efficiency, energy efficiency, waste prevention and green purchasing, integrated pest management and biodiversity, social equity and diversity and inclusion, which is a piece of sustainability that's really gotten sidelined over the years and we're really trying to elevate again in what we're doing. All of that rolls into kind of climate action and what's called regenerative agriculture, And then the seventh piece I added recently is this, what we're doing right now, which is communications and engagement. And to that point about what does sustainability mean, we have to do a much better job of getting out there and communicating every way we can, really the depth of what we're trying to do.
2: So you mentioned that Napa Green is obviously Napa focused and that you thought that or you believe that making impact locally is the highest level of impact. Why do you think that's the case?
1: Well, great question. So maybe I won't quite directly answer that question, but I will say that we're one of only four programs nationwide that's doing sustainability certification for vineyards and wineries. We have two complementary programs, so you can do either or both because some growers don't have a winery, some wineries are purchasing all of their grapes. And one of the questions we get a lot is why four programs? (laughs) And there's a couple other vineyard-only programs and the issue there is i'm telling you a lot of people wouldn't be doing this program if we weren't here boots on the ground to help them and walk them through the process and handhold them and pull them along sometimes if we weren't really here to provide that direct support we wouldn't have 90 wineries and you know more than 15,000 acres of vineyards in our new program which i can talk more about if we weren't here providing that direct support and i think i just saw working you know nationally and internationally more in the policy level There can just be a big disconnect from the reality on the ground, especially people kind of intellectuals in their ivory tower. I worked for a think tank for several years. They haven't actually worked on the ground. They haven't been in wineries facing the hard issues of maintaining the equipment and then figuring out how to communicate this to their customers and and their teams. So that really practical boots on the ground work is what feels really meaningful to me.
0: So to make all environmental, climate, and social justice efforts truly sustainable, they also need to be economically sustainable and not just a cover on top, right? And so I'm curious, how do you think about the economic returns and ROI in the context of sustainability?
1: Yeah, this can actually be one of the biggest misconceptions. So another one of the big questions we get is like, what are the hurdles or what prevents people from coming into your program? And one of them is this perception that it's really just going to cost a lot of money. Oh, this is just going to be really expensive. And you're going to ask me to buy all this new technology. And it's been COVID and we've had fires and I don't have a whole bunch of extra money to spend on this. And actually what we're really trying to do with our members is help them save money by cutting the bottom line. So there's Any number of examples I could share, I'll share some and you can cut me off at any point. Some of this gets to the really kind of grittier side of winemaking. So maybe not what we think of typically when we're thinking of luxury wine, but we're really working a lot with our winery members in the back of house on the production side. And there's things like install, I won't geek out too much, I promise, but there's things like installing variable frequency drives, these controlled glycol pumps, this is something that it's just an energy efficiency saver, and those can pay back in one, two, three years, and then you're constantly saving money on that. Another piece we've seen is just people turning down their hot water temperature when they don't need these super high temperatures for sanitation and cleaning the tanks and cleaning the barrels. And we've had members save thousands of dollars a year on their water bill or their energy bill just by turning down that hot water temperature. Out in the vineyard, there's actually, there's two great examples at Chateau Montelena. They had a a couple years ago, they had a vineyard that was really underperforming and they were, it's kind of like, what do we do? Are we going to have to replant this? And they engaged with Thule Technologies, who you might've heard of, that really helped to give you real-time data on how the vineyard's doing in terms of water needs, water capacity, soil water capacity, temperature, all those things. And so it helped them really dial in and target the timing and amount of their irrigation which is highly related to grape quality. And they were saying, I feel like this saved a vineyard. This saved us half a million, a million dollars within a few years, really being able to bring that vineyard back from from really underperforming. And another great example I love from them, because this is a hot topic right now is around packaging and lightweighting in the wine industry, is they realized several years ago also that it was time to phase out those wooden boxes that they were still shipping their wine in. They still went to a kind of beautifully branded, but all cardboard made from recycled content, all recyclable. And it reduced their shipments, I think he said, to New York from five a year to two a year. So huge reduction in shipping cost. It cut their materials cost in half, what they were paying for those materials. It cut their emissions in terms of all those shipments that they were making. And actually it critically cut their breakage. So they lost a lot fewer bottles of wine. So there's many other examples I can give. I'll I'll give one more that's a little bit more of a warning, which is that almost half of our members have solar arrays, but there is a proclivity to put in a solar array and then just be like, okay, it's there. I don't really have to pay attention to that. I don't really have to do anything. And so we've had a lot of members where they weren't paying attention and an inverter went down, which is kind of what's running the solar array. And then all of a sudden they get a bill from PG&E that's $60,000 instead of $10,000. And this actually happened at a few places. And it's this $50,000 loss because you weren't monitoring and maintaining the solar array. So that's just a couple examples of how we're really actually trying to benefit the economics.
2: There's apps, I think, to see what your solar production is. It's pretty easy. Most of the inverters connect to them these days, the modern inverters.
1: Yeah. Well, the challenge there is a number of wineries put in these. It's great. They put them in like a long time ago, a decade or more ago. And a lot of those solar companies went out of business. So then they lost the monitoring. So we're trying to help them get that back up online.
2: A question on the shipping and the box of packaging for Montalena. What did the boxes have to do with less shipments from five to two? How how did the boxes impact that? It's
1: just the space. It was how big, how much space those boxes take up versus they were able to consolidate and have a smaller, I would say even more nicely branded product, but they could just fit a lot more on a shipment plus the weight those boxes weigh a lot more and that affects how many they'll put into a shipment on any given vehicle. So those two pieces, that's where, and I'm sure you've been hearing about and talking about lightweighting the glass. It's the same kind of thing. It affects how much you can fit in a shipment. It affects the weight of a shipment and all of that ties into the emissions. And transportation is one of the biggest emissions associated with the wine industry. So we have to think about that.
0: So although you just listed off a myriad of examples, but a lot of them sound pretty straightforward. That. You spend X dollars now and you earn it back by year two, year three, and then you're saving money. That seems for an industry that's focused on kind of long-term having vineyards, that's you know, making a product once a year. That seems like a no-brainer. Why do you think some of these are not happening? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it just, is it they're not doing the calculations like that? I'm just curious on why do you think it's people aren't doing this on their own?
1: Yeah, well, I think that gets to the, maybe the biggest hurdle to getting people to do our program is just time is just being willing to put in the time. And I think a lot of the people we work with, any given winery or vineyard we work with, there's typically one or two or three champions. They're passionate about this, especially the more we work with them, the more they see the opportunities here. But it's like they're putting on their sixth straw hat. So many of them, especially winemakers nowadays or enologists or who have you, they have so many different job responsibilities. And it's like, okay, and now I'm going to be the sustainability manager, too. And it's just a lot to process. It's overwhelming. And I think there's just a lot of inertia out there. There's a lot of, I think, in the wine industry, maybe it's no different than anyone else. But there's a lot of this is the way we've always been doing it. This is how UC Davis said to do it in 1975 and it's just updating it to, okay, there's some new opportunities here today, especially we've been seeing this around sanitation. That's the biggest water user in the wineries. And there's kind of this old school five or six step process that has typically been used to clean the tanks. And you don't really have to do that anymore. There's new products that can cut down those steps significantly, but there's a little bit of inertia around this is the way we've always been doing it. I don't know. Do I trust that new product? So I think that's kind of the main hurdle.
2: So when you look at wineries, I guess mostly doing sustainability investments, do they look at each of these projects individually or do they say, hey, I have a new sustainability manager. I'm working with Napa Green and I'm going to do like 10 projects in a whole package at once. And what do you think works better?
1: Well, that's a great question, and this is one of the things I'm always trying to push, is that in terms of our standards, we're really trying to think very systematically. So what I walked through in terms of those core elements, all the aspects of resource efficiency, of waste management, of purchasing, of climate action, renewable energy, social equity communications. It's really critical to me to think very systematically and to think not just from the vineyard, but into the winery. I think consumers, visitors tend to really focus on the agriculture and it's important to really also think about the production and the impact of selling, pushing out this wine, distributing the wine, getting the wine to your wine clubs and to your customers. have to really think very systematically And I think when we go in and start working with a lot of our members, they have been thinking more one-off and they've been thinking more, okay, this equipment's down, I'm replacing that, just that kind of focus. And so we are helping to give them that, okay, here's the full landscape. And then what we do with our members is we say you have to be a B plus to A minus student to get certified. So there's more than 120 practices you have to do to be winery certified. There's more than 100 practices you have to do to be vineyard side, which is overwhelming. But with all of our members, they can have up to 10 to 12 items that they put on an action plan that we work with them where they need more time, they need another budget cycle, what have you. We work with them to kind of for that continuing improvement aspect and to help think then more systematically of, okay, I'm going to tackle these things across these different areas and I'm going to get this done in six months and that done in two years and things like that. So I think we're trying to help them think beyond the kind of individual investment projects.
2: And so trying to basically have a whole portfolio of things, that they have a whole work plan that they're executing over time.
1: Yes, exactly. And a way to another really unique aspect of what we do with our members, growers and vintners is we baseline and track all of their energy use, their water use, their waste diversion, which is how much you're recycling and composting, and then their scope one and two emissions. Again, I'm not going to geek out too much, but we help them track some of their emissions. And then that way we can also see performance over time. So it's not just top down, do these things, talk to you in three years. It's checking in and really seeing how that performance is improving and changing over time.
0: So those sound like certain key metrics that you're looking to drive for each of of your pillars, potentially, depending if it's a vineyard or a winery certification.
1: Yeah, looking at that water use is critical. I mean, we're in a 1,200-year drought here in California, and I think we've seen that as one of the biggest opportunity areas. On the winery side, we do what's called a resource audit, and we've done over 190 of those over the past six years. So we've really seen a lot of where the key opportunities are, and definitely water is one of those areas, and then energy in terms of cost savings and as it relates to emissions. And then the waste is big. I mean, one of our members, Bread. it's interesting what different people decide to focus on. So Bread decided they wanted to focus in on reducing waste. and They really geeked out on this and they got what's called some big belly solar kind of trash compactors. It doesn't sound like they look nice, but they look nice. And it compacts down the trash, it compacts down the recycling. And then that like dramatically reduced the number of pickups that they had to get. And so they tracked it, I forget, over, it was a couple of years, I'm not going to get it precisely right, but maybe it was over the first three years that they were doing this initiative. They saved almost $30,000. Just on, on that kind of focusing in on that, reducing the amount of waste and then reducing those pickups. That's expensive. Waste management is something we know at home. That's actually something we spend a lot of money on is someone to come and pick up our trash and recycling. So
0: Especially in California. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so Napa Green has both vineyard and winery certifications. What is the core value proposition of getting these certifications? And how do you help tie back to ROI for either the wineries or vineyards?
1: Well, I think the reason people come and do it really varies and we're willing to work with people for any reason, <laughs> you know, even if they're coming at it for a marketing reason. Cool. I'm glad that's why you're here. We're going to help you with that. I think in years past, we had a lot of initial members that wanted to do the right thing, right? This is the right thing to do. I think now we're getting more and more members where this just isn't an option anymore. There is so much demand in the marketplace for this information from retailers, from distributors, from... You can't get into some international markets like Scandinavia or Ontario, I think Japan, unless you have some kind of program like this. And then some of these places are starting to really evaluate the relative rigor of the different programs and say is this really doing enough? Is this really setting a high enough bar? We've been asked to give that level of information to some of these programs. Another thing that's really on the horizon here is is there's been some big changes in the finance world, the global finance world. And so what's coming down the line here is that for any size business, including 75% of our members are under 25,000 cases, But for any size business, not just a publicly traded business, within the next few years, you're going to have to be doing something around this, what in the bigger corporate sphere is called environmental social governance. You're going to have to have something in place and you're going to have to have transparency around tracking and reporting your emissions. This is a new SEC requirement that came out earlier this year. And so working with programs like us actually gives people a huge leg up in being in compliance with that in order to get any kind of lending any kind of funding, any kind of investment. Within the next few years, you got to have something going in this arena. And so I think that's a big part where we are getting more people coming to us saying, okay, this isn't a nice to have anymore. This is actually very critical to the future of my business. And, And not just on that front. I mean... We've had three mega fires in the past five years, right? Just really needing to get ahead on climate action and building the resilience of the vineyards. And so I think that's where people are getting, okay, there's some real tools. There's some real value here that you can offer us and help us in the future success of our business.
0: So in order to like, if you had to choose a metric for maybe on the one on the winery side and one on the vineyard side that has the, from your experience, the most opportunity for Making an impact in terms of sustainability, but also to the bottom line of either the winery or vineyard, what would you choose? What do you think is the most neglected area that you think has the most opportunity?
1: Yeah, in terms of agriculture, these what are called these nature based solutions have been identified by the UN as one of the top five solutions to climate change globally. And so I think it's pretty exciting that growers and farmers globally have this very active role that they can actually play in being a part of the climate solution. And it has all of these broader benefits in terms of the resiliency of, in our case, the vineyards. And so every single one of our growers that we work with for every vineyard that they enroll in the program, they get what's called a custom carbon farm plan. And so this plan lays out for them a suite of options the things i was talking about cover crops compost planting what's called hedgerows the old english term adding more biodiversity around the vineyards you know preserving forests reduced tractor passes is a big one it lays out for them using a tool called comet i won't go into the weeds on that but it lays out exactly how much more carbon they could store by implementing these practices and often the great thing in the wine industry is growers are doing a lot of good things already but they could do more they could expand their cover crops they could apply more more compost. They could do a little less tillage or tractor passes. They could add more biodiversity. And this actually quantifies for them, okay, this could store this much more carbon, this could store this much more carbon, helps them really prioritize where they might want to target their efforts. So compost, it tends to be a very big kind of bang for the buck benefit. Adding compost is really critical for soil health, but it also is great for water storage and for carbon storage and nutrient addition, all those things. So it can help them say, oh, wow, okay, I'm going to get this much more benefit if I'm applying this compost. I'm going to go in that in that direction. And that's a really kind of cutting edge topic right now and something we're trying to really assist all of our growers in doing. And then on the winery side, I'm going to come to water because water is just such a crux issue and it relates to so many different things right now. Water in and of itself, people tend to say, oh, it's cheap. I don't have to care about it. You know, most wineries are working with wells, so it's not very expensive. On the other hand, those that are getting water from the city, it's much more expensive. But actually, what we don't think about is the embedded energy in water. It takes a lot of energy to transport, to heat, to treat water actually is a huge part of a winery's energy bill or of the vineyard side bill in terms of irrigation. And, you know, we're in this drought. This is a critical issue to address. But also there's new and not a sexy topic, but there's a lot of new regulations around wastewater. So you want to reduce the amount of wastewater you're creating. So all of these ways that we're working with wineries and vineyards to save water, I think there's just, there's cost benefits, there's energy benefits, there's benefits in terms of those regulators that you don't want to have coming around. So I would say that's a really central area where we should be thinking a little bit more holistically. It's not just some water coming out of the ground. There's a whole bunch of related issues there.
0: Seems like there's a lot of certifications out there. And... Organic and biodynamic, regenerative, other versions of sustainability. I'm curious, what makes the NAPA green certification unique?
1: This is a big passion point for me and an area where I might get a little bit contentious. So I think there's a lot of programs out there that call themselves sustainability programs or even sustainable wine growing programs. And it frustrates me because to really be sustainable, you have to be addressing all these areas. You have to be addressing environment. You have to be addressing social equity. You have to be addressing economics. And so what I like to distinguish between is true sustainability, systematic programs, and programs that are environmental programs that are working on one issue. And that's great. It's important to work on individual issues that are important in certain regions. But when I have people say to me, oh, there's 100 programs out there. No, that's not true. There's 100 Environmental programs of all different kinds, but I actually was the lead consultant helping with Sustainable Wine Growing British Columbia. I've helped Ontario Craft Wineries as they're developing their program. I'm very familiar in terms of our industry with the programs that are out there. And if you look globally at programs that are true sustainability programs, that are truly looking at resource efficiency and social equity and climate action and the economics of all of this, there's only about 15 or so programs globally. That's still a lot of programs, but it's not hundreds of programs. And so that's where I think we are really unique in terms of the industry. And I think, okay, it's Napa Green here in Napa County. This is a, a small little corner of the world, but we're making the premier agricultural product in arguably the premier agricultural region. And so our leadership around sustainability and climate action, and my goal and our team's goal is to set the bar for the most rigorous standards out there in the industry. And as we commit to that, and as other regions see this, I know, cause I get calls asking me, how do I do this here? It creates a ripple effect. And so it's not just about us here, it's about the platform we have to influence other regions. And then in terms of organic, so I got to get to that because that's the number one question we get is how is this different from organic or, oh, you mean organic? And we hear that's the main question the tasting rooms get. And that's a question the wineries get from their customers all the time. So the quick kind of elevator pitch on how we're different from organic is organic is just for the farm. It's just for the vineyard. And it's focused explicitly on don't use synthetic pesticides, what you don't want to do that's really one piece. Again, I'm I'm a systems person. That's one piece of a much bigger system of what we need to be looking at. There is organic for the winery, but that's not about environmental stewardship. That's about how the wine is finished. I won't go into that. So in terms of stewardship, organic is for the vineyard in our world. And what we're looking at is vineyard into the winery. And going all the way through that production process, and we look at resource efficiency, and we look at social equity, and we look at climate action, and none of those things are addressed by organic. So it's a little bit of a myopic question sometimes when we're saying, oh, how is this different from organic? Oh, you're not organic, because we do have prohibited and restricted pesticides, but we don't require organic. So we're kind of a pathway to organic but we're working with growers and vintners on so many more pieces of this puzzle in terms of what we need to be doing around sustainability and climate action.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of certifications that are getting printed on the on back labels or even sometimes on the front. And I don't know that all the consumers actually know what any of those really mean. And so I'm curious on what do you think the value is printing a certification? Is that is that a goal to have Napa Green being printed on bottles? And how do you how do you make it so that actually means something to the person who's going to buy that wine?
1: Yeah, man, if you could help me crack this one, I'll I'll pay you some serious money. Um, I mean, I I say yes to every single opportunity like this. I never turn one down. So this is one way, right? We just have to communicate every way we can, every channel we can to help passionate wine enthusiasts understand what we're doing. Of course, third-party certification is critical. So at the very least, you know, if you're seeing something, I think, as far as all the logos I've seen on labels, if you're seeing a logo on a label, it's been third party certified. That means someone has gone out and validated that you're doing whatever that standard is focused on. And that's really critical because we do still have a lot of people out there saying, I'm sustainable. And it's like, oh, I recycle and that's it. I'm sustainable. Or like, I have a solar array. I'm sustainable. You know, but they're not really doing this whole world of things that they need to be doing. So that third-party validation that people are walking the talk or really doing what they're saying they're doing really, really matters. And there is more and more, I think, customer recognition of like, I don't want someone just to be telling me they're doing something. I want some kind of validation that there's some real depth to this. And absolutely, having the logo on the bottle across the board, we need more of that. Because even if a customer is like, Napa Green, okay, I'm not quite sure what that means, But I'm holding up two comparable bottles of wine, and this one's got some kind of sustainability thing going on, and this one doesn't. This one's saying climate action really matters. This one's not saying anything. They're probably going to grab that one. There's a lot of market evidence and surveys and literal things we've seen in stores where our members promote their sustainability and climate action with a shelf talker or a necker or something like that. We've seen where sales go up 20% in that store. So we do need to get a lot better about giving customers quick cues ways of quickly identifying whether they get the depth of it and the complexity of it, right? Most people are not going to go spend an hour researching what exactly Napa Green means, although maybe they'll listen to this podcast, but it at least gives them that quick cue because we just need to be able to make split-second decisions out there so often when we're, especially when we're making purchasing decisions. So we're definitely encouraging more of our members to put that logo on the bottle, or at least in that description, talk a little less about the terroir and a little bit more about climate action and sustainability.
0: And I'm curious, do you find a resistance at a different price points of putting something on the back label? It seems like you see a lot more of that at, at lower price points, but then I'm wondering if from the producer side, do you like, Hey, if someone's paying hundred dollars, they know we're taking care of our stuff and they're, but they're still getting your certification. And they're just not putting on the back label.
1: You know, that's a really interesting point that I haven't thought about, but I, yes, I think you're right. Yeah. You do see more of it on some of the under $15 wines, which isn't so many of our Napa County wines, right? But again, this is an area where we're seeing, we're seeing amongst our membership, amongst these premier wineries, a recognition of the value of this. We've had, I don't know, three or four just in the past few months come to us and say, okay, how do I put this logo on the bottle. It's time to put it on the bottle. John Charles Boisset just committed to put it on all of Raymond's labels. So we're seeing more and more of like, oh yeah, this is something that's getting recognized. We got to do it.
0: So of the wineries who have done your certification, what percentage put it on the back label?
1: This is pretty nascent, I have to say. So it's really an area growing right now. I think we'd had had about 10 members putting it on the label. I think we have like double that now working on putting it onto the label. Another kind of niche challenge we've had is that we redeveloped our vineyard program. So there's been this transition from the former program to the new program. So that's around that issue. We're kind of ramping up the growers that can use the vineyard logo on their label, but we're definitely seeing a huge increase in interest around that right now, which is great to see.
2: So, Digging a little bit more into how you think about marketing sustainability, there's a lot of differences of opinion on how sustainability should play into marketing a wine brand. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you can tell I have thoughts on many things. But this is an area where earlier, you know, five or so years ago, man, I would hear so many people saying, Oh, I don't want to market this. That's not why I'm doing it. And it frustrated me so much. Because if you are making this a priority, if you are a values based business, I actually think there's an onus on you to serve as an educator, to help communicate to customers why this matters and what you're doing. And yeah, no, I don't want greenwashing. I don't want people out there saying they're so great and they're not really doing anything. But if you're really doing something and you're really making an effort, and if you've gotten the certification, like you heard, over a 100 measures on both sides, you're doing some deep work here. You should be talking about it. And I think the other... Resistance I've heard is people saying, oh, well, you know, I'm really good over here. I've got renewable energy and recycling, but I'm feeling insecure about water. Like, I don't really have that figured out yet. And then people will, and I think this is true of all people across the board, will say, oh, I don't really want to talk about that because I don't have it all figured out. And I think this is an area in particular where we have to be willing to be transparent and in a way be vulnerable of let's talk about there's so many things to do. We've started here. We still have work to do over here. But that doesn't mean that we don't talk about it. And so we do really try to help. And and probably the area right now where the winery teams that's the most interested is the marketing teams because they're seeing how much interest and potential there is out there. So we do what's called an ambassador training to help them understand what does this all mean? Because we're going through an hour right now of talking about it, right? So help them with how do they talk about that? What are some of the quick elevator pitches to help get people engaged in this? So I'm a big promoter of do market this. Meaningfully, you know, honestly, meaningfully, transparently, but we've got to be having these conversations.
2: When you mentioned that earlier, that you know, some trade gatekeepers, like whether it's Scandinavia or whatnot, may use this as a requirement or as part of their tender bids, and certainly we see some restaurants and sommeliers who, or even retailers, that have all kind of like I don't know, natural or sustainable wine lists. How do you think a winery can take advantage of that in terms of? building their marketing message.
1: I think I'm just seeing so much more interest amongst sommeliers, amongst masters of wine. I was actually on a panel yesterday about the importance of third-party certification and there were two masters of wine on there and a whole bunch of sommeliers and masters of wine listening and just huge hunger for this information and for exactly what we're talking about here. Help me understand the differences. Why are there these different programs? How do I make sure it's really impactful and meaningful and not just a bunch of BS? So this gets back to what we were just talking about. I think as you're out there in the market, selling your wines, doing tastings, This has to be one of your talking points because there's so much interest in the trade and better understanding this and then leveraging it in their own sales, You know, in a restaurant, wherever it is, in a retail shop, to distributors. We're also seeing a lot more interest amongst distributors. Same thing. Help me understand what this is. Help me identify in my portfolio who do I have that's really doing these practices. Help me communicate this because we need any and all tools to sell right? So I think that's, I'm just seeing so much interest out there. The Institute of Masters of Wine is adding this to their curriculum. So there's just so much potential. Probably said that 13 times now, but there's so much potential around all of this.
2: Well, and for the winery owners who are looking at the bottom line, oftentimes I've seen some studies that say there could be a one to $3 a bottle premium for certified organic. And I'm not sure if that's the same, if it's certified sustainable or something like that. Studies
1: have shown some yeah, similar things.
2: And similar to our discussion a little bit earlier, when we talked about Napa, it's usually a lot more expensive wines. And sometimes those very expensive wines, consumers often just assume, I think, that it's sustainable as, as one point. The other is that a $3 premium on a $300 bottle of wine is only 1%, so it doesn't really make that much difference to their bottom line. How does Napa think of that sort of premium differently than maybe other wine regions?
1: Well, I think that's, yeah. So there are many studies out there that have shown this technical willingness to pay more for a wine that's made values-based, that's made sustainably or organically. I don't know. Not everyone has a master's of environmental science and management like I do, but I had to take a bunch of economics courses. There's that big difference we see between willingness to pay, like I'm saying I'll pay that, and then the reality you see on the ground. I actually forget the economic term for that. But I think what we're seeing more and more opportunity, and I guess maybe demand is the word here in Napa County around is people buying grapes from growers, being willing to pay a premium. For those grapes that have been grown with rigorous third-party sustainability or organic practices. And more and more people, even a lot of our members that have their estate vineyards that they're controlling that they own, but they still purchase grapes. So many people now purchase grapes from other growers, and there's more and more places that only purchase grapes or lease or lease their vineyards. So that's a conversation we have to have more, is there really does have to be a willingness to pay a premium for these grapes where the grower really has put in a whole other level of work and of investment, maybe not so much in cost, but in time or in bulls. And that really does need to be acknowledged in order to really make the rapid expansion in implementing these practices that we need. We're in a climate crisis. We have eight years to make some really, really critical changes. And so we got to be willing to put our money where our mouth is a little bit uh, within the industry in terms of supporting the rapid implementation of these practices.
2: And just to clarify for our listeners, eight years is for twenty thirty like environmental goals. Yeah, not that the world will dissolve in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I
1: hope not.
0: <laughs> Knock on wood. So, yeah. That
1: we need to critically, dramatically, in a pathway that we are not currently on, cut down our emissions. And as I said, agriculture is one of the key areas where we can't, where we have that opportunity to cut down emissions. And then I don't think I mentioned this yet. And then in terms of when we do inventories, so this is a term for you're looking at all the emissions associated with any given operation. When we do a winery inventory, anywhere from 30 to 50% on average of a winery's emissions is from packaging and distribution. So that was the other area I was talking about in terms of big opportunity to cut emissions by changing some of these kind of outmoded packaging and glass weight. Oh, it's four pounds. It must be a better bottle of wine. Those kinds of things where we have a big opportunity. But what I'm saying is we need to do that very rapidly. Like we don't have 20 years to make transitions around all of these practices.
2: So along the lines of promotion You started Napa Thrives, a symposium on sustainability with Martine Reyes, who's one of the many masters of wines that you mentioned. Why did you two start it and what's its core purpose?
1: Yeah, it gets to some of the things we've already talked about. So the idea was we really need to accelerate exactly what we were just talking about, accelerate the pace of sustainability and climate action in the wine industry. And why does that matter? We're kind of a small, little industry, right, but it was what I was talking about earlier around how powerful our platform is. If we really accelerate our leadership, we really adopt these cutting-edge practices, that sends a message that reverberates through the wine industry and through the beverage sector more broadly. And so that was the goal of this symposium was let's get everyone together and A, help them understand what is the breadth of what we're doing. So Napa Thrives was organized around those six pillars of sustainable wine growing leadership that I outlined. So really kind of targeting a focus on each of those six areas through the symposium to help people get, and then help them target, like, what are the biggest opportunities, which we're talking about right now? Where should I be focusing my efforts? And I think one of the biggest things that came out of that, actually, because we had about 600 people across the six days, which was very exciting for our launch event, was just building a sense of community. I think there's a lot of people that feel like, I really want to do something, but I'm me. I'm just me, and it's hard for me to make a difference. And there was just a lot of excitement and buzz around realizing like, oh, wow, my neighbors want to do this, too. And I have this resource that I can rely on. And I'm not alone. And together, you know, it seems like a cliche, but it's true. Together, there actually is a lot that we can do. And so we're going to be trying to do that symposium again next year, probably next April, and then try to keep doing that maybe every other year and maybe bring it to some other regions. I mean, what we're talking about is relevant to any wine industry anywhere, but it'd be good to have it in Sonoma and have it in Santa Barbara, kind of because I love Santa Barbara and then, you know, Ontario and Burgundy. You know, let's spread that platform.
0: So we like to wrap up every episode on a personal note, and we're curious on what was the most memorable bottle of wine you had this last year, and who did you drink it with?
1: Oh, my goodness. I didn't pre-prepare for this question. I am a huge fan of Pinot Noir. Don't spread that around too loudly in Napa County since there isn't so much Pinot Noir. I do have some Pinot Noir I really love in Napa County. I love St. But one of my favorites actually is Halleck. I don't know if you've heard of them over on the Sonoma Coast. Very small, very, very small little operation. And we went out there. It's literally you get hosted and, you know, these special experiences. I'm sure you talk about them all the time, but you get hosted in his house and they've created a little taster menu for you of all local foods and cheeses. And this one Pinot, and I, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but it's the one from their one acre on a state vineyard right there. What's their premier Pinot. They have a beautiful view over Sonoma County, and it's just so, so special. And I was with, on that visit, I was with a good friend. I went to Williams College, and he's kind of formulated an alumni group around wine. So I've, we've been kind of formulating a Williams College, come up and visit Napa County and learn more about wine. But so he and I were out there at Halleck together having that. And he said, this is so special. I'm joining this club. So those experiences make such a difference in how you engage. But yeah, beautiful, beautiful Pinot. Special experience.
0: Great. Well, thank you for sharing. And thank you for sharing all your knowledge on sustainability. It's very great to have such insight and dive into all these different aspects so that we can play our part in dealing with climate change because we're a premier agricultural product.
1: Yeah. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk about it. I appreciate it.
2: Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash exchateau.
1: Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of Ex Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, Shame. cheers.